My name is Dr. Nate Shannock. And my name is Merrick Egbert. This is the official podcast of the Else for Autism Foundation for autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not on the podcast, I'm a part of the growing research team and I'm a tennis coach. And when I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant phoning the gas of each department like Lou. I am also autistic. This is our 10th episode, Building a Neurodiverse Workforce, Part 1. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Here are some news and updates about the foundation. It is now 2021 and ourselves at the foundation are starting back the fantastic programs and services that we are known for, including our sports activities, our arts focused activities, and our range of services tackling everything from ABA, applied behavioral analysis to mental health. Speaking of which, we have started a new program in the latter part of this month called The Connections Teen Mental Health Counseling Group. Every Monday from 6 to 7 p.m., we have our mental health counselor, Dr. Kimberly Watterson Rivecchio, take charge of a group of teens with autism to discuss whatever challenges that they would like to discuss. The trial run is from January 25th to March the 1st, Make sure to contact Dr. Kimberly Watterson-Rivecchio, which I will have in our show notes for more details. Secondly, our hashtag WeAreFoodies, W-E-R-F-O-O-D-I-E-S, work experience program food, uh, food service has three more weeks, including this one at the South Florida Science Center and Aquarium, where they're selling lunch goodies and snacks. We will also show you the Facebook page in our notes. Thirdly, I would like to take this time to advertise our upcoming virtual March employment conference. On Friday, March 12th and Saturday, March 13th, our Building a Neurodiverse Workforce Conference will showcase self-advocates and business advocates who are looking to unite to share and spread the message of neurodiversity in the workplace and its benefits. We will share our own expertise through our own experiences as a host of such a conference to help with the tools and best practices in hiring individuals with ASD or autism spectrum disorder, creating a neurodiverse work program or expanding a current one. You will be able to get your tickets on the website linked, um, <clears throat> but make sure to pay attention to the early bird special which lasts through February 11th. Okay. As many of our distinguished listeners may know, Google's healthcare innovation strategist, Jim Hogan received our Autism Spectrum Award in 2020. He will head a panel on employment experiences of individuals with autism 
at the Building a Neurodiverse Workforce Conference on Saturday, March 13th from 11.45 a.m. to 12.45 p.m., which I will also be a part of. Because of his status as a leader in self-advocacy, I was asked to interview him about his background and what he hopes to see during the panel. So the first question I wanna ask you, Jim, is we know you have long been an advocate for individuals with autism in the workforce. From your perspective, why is a neurodiverse workforce so important? Neurodiversity defines the things that you really can't see um, when, when, you're, when you're dealing with somebody, especially when you're trying to do an interview and things like that. So by acknowledging neurodiversity, which is you know, the, the things that make us different from an actual genetic specific, you know, in the brain specific, uh, it, it allows people to be more flexible when it comes to things that are usual obstacles to people like getting through an interview, uh, looking people in the eye, uh, you know, and, and being less awkward socially. So these are things that, that most people, you know, in the autism community call masking, uh, which is trying to pretend to be neurotypical uh, to be able to get through an interview process and then later acknowledging that they're on the spectrum once they're in the door. Uh, but by companies acknowledging neuro, neurodiversity exists and, and that this is a thing, uh, you know, there's so many things in the world that people refuse to acknowledge as a thing. Um, you know, right now we're having things like, uh, you know, systemic racism doesn't exist as an example, which is, which is just a complete falsehood. Um, you know, neurodiversity is obviously way behind in, in acknowledgement when it comes to things uh, that corporate America needs to acknowledge. Okay. Second question is to those of our listeners who have autism or other related disabilities and are aspiring to be computer scientists, what advice would you share with them? Well, it's, you know, people are, are not always uh, prone to being uh, a computer scientist or becoming, you know, somebody who, who codes for a living or, or things like that. You know, my, my uh, ability you know, that I was born with was bringing, uh, you know, clarity to the abstract, you know, to the large, the large complex abstracts that exist in the world. Uh, but if somebody's interested in computer science, what I would recommend is you go to, uh, you know, edX, which is the, the free uh, learning community that a lot of autodidacts use that's sponsored by MIT and Harvard. And they have a, a class called CS550, uh, which is the computer science class that they offer to Harvard freshmen. And they have different variants of that. You can take one for gaming, you can take one, and you really have to find out if you have interest in a computer uh, career, uh, you'll quickly realize whether or not that's something that you'd be gravitating towards by taking a free class such as that. And you can also use like an example is like Grasshopper, um, which, is a, which is a tool that does, uh, you're a very simple tool to teach people how to code and whether that structure is something that somebody's looking for you know, in a career. And, you know, those, those folks are, are, you know, usually you can gravitate towards, you know, yes, I really love this or no, I don't like it. So, uh, but those are the two things I recommend that, that allow people to get good, solid background and, you know, to kind of test the waters to see if that's a career they're interested in. And we'll share uh, further um, links and the like that relate to this on um, our uh, show notes. 
So, um, and I've taken that that Harvard class several times, CS five fifty. You know, I've never officially been to college until recently. I've been going to Harvard Medical School. Uh, you know, they have a, a distant learning program because I've recently gotten to immunology. So just just like the you know computer science folks are, if you're interested in that, you know, anything that you're interested in, there's a educational program out there for you. Definitely. Okay, um, a third question is, and this is a very interesting question. What personal experiences and challenges have you had in seeking out employment that make this conference coming up so important to you? Well, you know, the anybody who's heard one of my webinars before with like Patricia Wright or, or somebody um, like that who's interviewed me, you know, my life in corporate America has been a nightmare. And, you know, I've had very... My, my career has basically been started as an entrepreneur and a business owner. So I was the CEO of my own company. And once I sold my own company, I took some time off, but I was a heavily recruited uh, person that people wanted me to work for them because they thought that, you know, my success in, in owning my own business would translate to success for their organization. So large companies uh, recruited me and brought me into their fold you know, taking, trying to take advantage of, of my cognitive abilities and, you know, and, you know, but at the same time, um, I was treated extremely hostily. So most of my career, uh, the, you know, where I've been working at corporate America, I have been in a hostile workplace situation. And even, you know, at my current role, uh, you know, the sad truth is, is that even I was even bullied at Google. And obviously now I'm, I'm, you know, almost, almost 54 years old and, and I've been, been, you know, 37th year in my career. So I'm not exactly somebody who's very sensitive to it anymore because, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just something I've gotten used to. And I've, I've made a change recently where I've, I've gotten off of that situation. Uh, and I'm, and I, the other part of the, about my new job is that I have, you know, very high level executive sponsorship for my involvement at Google from an autism perspective, which kind of helps me. It gives me a, a bit of a shield, but, but the folks that don't have that, I mean, the thing that usually happens is HR departments don't understand that if somebody's on the autism spectrum, that they're bullying. It's not like I'm bullied. I'm going to go home and whimper and cry myself to sleep. It's, it's extremely dangerous and, and medically challenging uh, when somebody on the autism spectrum gets into a bullying situation to the point that where I've, I've, I've been hospitalized uh, for, you know, having a psychotic break because of corporate bullying, because my world is so structured, uh, I have to stay inside of a certain guardrail to be able to, to exist in corporate America. And when you have somebody that's really good at, at bullying and pushing buttons and, and being, a, being a complete, you know, jackass, which I can say, because that's just a donkey, uh, you know, they are able to take somebody on the autism spectrum and, and, you know, debilitate them and take their, take their, their, their life liberty away. So, uh, so HR departments need to understand that if you have somebody who's on the spectrum, it's not just like, you know, trendy and, and cool to hire somebody who has autism. You have to really shepherd them and take care of them. Nobody does that correctly. Uh, and, and that's what, what I'm fighting for right now is I want to take this life of experience that I have and, and share those stories transparently and talk about the fact that, Hiring somebody on the autism spectrum is one thing. Creating an equitable um, environment where you can, where you can not only retain that individual, but actually see their performance rise and 
and actually promote somebody and make them feel like they're part of their, your community, that is the ultimate goal. So uh, we have so many organizations who are like, I'd like to hire somebody on the autism spectrum because they think that's the altruistic thing to do, where we should really be focusing on that equity, the performance cycle, to make sure that the differences that, that need to exist and the anti-bullying measures that need to exist uh, are something that people actually shepherd those individuals through. Yeah, I uh, definitely agree with all that you just said. And that is a that is a one hour webinar on its own. My stories from corporate America are the subjects of books and and other things. So I have a, I have amazing stories that you wouldn't believe what people have said to me through my career. Uh, you know, as somebody who's a, who's been an executive, we actually coming to an organization an executive, and you have people that are that are are really bullying, and you know, and that's that's really. My goal is to make sure that not only are the are people treated fairly, but well, there is no bowling. I call it creating a safe environment, creating an equitable environment. So, but uh, but the stories are are pretty good. So you can uh, bring me on for another one. We can I can tell you my story. So, yeah, I can probably relate a little bit because of my severe sense of anxiety, and so I get very very nervous of doing anything wrong or being risk averse and the like. And I also can say that, um, I guess I can say also that uh, it also has been a little bit of my social activity, but it's just, you know, there's, there's a lot that comes packaged with what we have. And people do have to understand that, that there's a lot there, that, that it's a lot more complex than someone who just does great. So reasonable accommodations and the like are very, very important and valuable. And uh, I, I really must say that, that you're sort of a, that you're a role model for people within the autism community. You're one of those people that I guess I would say to myself, I, I've sort of imagined would exist and I'm really, really glad that you do exist. Well, I appreciate that. My, I've been fighting for my entire life for this, and it's it's uh, not an easy, you know, not an easy world to live in because you can build your skills and you can have you know amazing cognitive abilities and found find companies and sell companies and be respected in an industry, and then and then it just takes one person at a company to 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 throw you for a loop. So I've I've learned to become. Uh, you know, a, uh, you know, I've learned to kind of become a champion for those that are, that are being bullied. And I just had a, a call today about that, you know, here uh, at Google, you know, it's, it's because there, the, we, we need to still work on the fact that there's, that we might have a, a program to hire folks in the autism spectrum, but there isn't a, 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 a anything that has a, a fairness across from an equity and performance perspective. So um, that's something that, that we are still working on, you know, uh, we're we're trying to form a more perfect Google, you know, not not uh, not not saying that everything is perfect right now. So, yeah, yeah, I, um, I'm definitely appreciative of that. <clears throat> so, our next the next question is: What do you expect to see from our 2021 employment conference, and what do you expect to happen because of our 2021 employment conference? Yes, this is a two-parter. Well, the two-part question is a good one because what I expect to see is is open minds and and folks that that realize that 
you know, people on the autism spectrum are often the, the overlooked, uh, you know, overlooked gems in, in an organization. And regardless of, of what they're bringing brought in as, uh, it's, it's really just about opening your eyes and, and accommodating folks in the, from the interview process all the way through the performance cycle. So I'm hoping that we have a, a well-rounded uh, meeting. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I wish that, the, that we didn't have the, the COVID restrictions and we could all get together face-to-face so that we can talk, you know, see what we're talking about. Um, the other part about it is, you know, expect to happen you know, we're hopefully we're going to be able to start some dialogues and continue those dialogues into the into the you know throughout the next next several months and and start to really think about you know because now's the time that that we that we really bring bring things together and and have some worthwhile programs that that really uh, change the the lives of people on the spectrum. So that's what I'm hoping for. Okay. So you will work with a panel on people who have valuable employment experiences with autism, which will include me and a few other advisory board members. Why is it important for people to tune into our panel? Well, the, the importance of this is the, to share the experiences and, and well-rounded experiences of, of folks on the spectrum and, and how, how they are you know, handling employment you know, and, the, and the stories that we have as far as like how we got employment and, and why is it important? You know, my, my, uh, my story as a, as an individual is, is, you know, not, not necessarily a triumph. Um, you know, I, I happen to take a very long time to, to land someplace where I feel truly comfortable. I'm going to be retiring from. So folks need to understand that it's a, that the journeys that, that we've been through have been complex and, and treacherous at times. And, and that they, you know, and we need people to understand that, you know, because, because folks hear stories about, you know, oh, I changed something inside corporate America. There's a policy, or or whatever, or, or you know, and, and how that actually impacted people. They don't know until you until you start hearing somebody tell a story. So hopefully, we'll get a, a lot of that, a lot of good stories out, and, and people will be able to understand us. And uh, okay, so what would you say to employers to register for the conference? I would tell employers that they're overlooking candidates today. Uh, simply because they they don't understand the, uh, the 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 multiple faceted approach of hiring folks on the spectrum. And right now, uh, there's individuals who they're not interviewing or that they're not even letting through the interview process uh, because of the the social conventions that exist and norms that are created by neurotypical people uh, that is, that are then you know uh, come down to on people on the spectrum like a ton of bricks trying to um, figure out how we're going to screen and get somebody. Uh, you know, to eliminate somebody as opposed to including somebody in the in a future interview. So because like you hear the story of a lot of people that get, uh, you know, they're getting knocked out. Uh, so what this conference is going to do is create a, a, a foundation for uh, exceptional skills to, to be able to expand your workforce into, into directions you didn't realize. And that's why it's important to come and it's important to hear uh, you know, these, these, uh, this content is going to be geared towards that. So uh, you're missing out on, on hiring great people. And, and it's, uh, it's about creating that, that bi-directional uh, system of, of, you know, acknowledgement and acceptance uh, that will, that we get into some of the, some of those folks. So um, that's what I would say. And that's what I've been telling people. So. Yeah. So this uh, interview segment should have probably been called the humanity of autism. Um, 
before we go, I have a very, very silly question to ask you. I don't know if you would mind or not. I don't mind. Okay, so you're in the tech world, in the tech field. I'm not exactly well-versed in technology too much, but one of my big special interests is in the world of video games. Uh, is that topic familiar to you? Sure. Okay. Do you have a favorite video game and why? Well, I usually will play... Uh, my games are are usually, you know, the kind of like the role playing game. So, I would say that I I I would, you know, look look to like an, uh, you know, the uh, Skyrim or whatever it's called. It's the the one that's like the the elders um, game that that was a while. But I just got done. It's a hilarious question because, of course, we wanted everybody wants a PS5 or a new Xbox, uh, uh, you know, and and I'm I'm a fifty almost fifty four year old man and I. You know, my wife is, is like rolling her eyes back when I said I wanted to get a new video game. She's like, you haven't even touched your, your console. You know, I have an Xbox. I think the last game we have is an Xbox 360. So so what I did when I couldn't get the console is I is I actually polished that thing off. And I and I just, uh, you know, just ended up playing Call of Duty, uh, you know, so and I'm, I actually have it all right here front and center. So but I just did Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, uh, you know, and finish that. Uh, but I think the 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 Skyrim game. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's a uh, you know the, uh, the I I played I played that um, a while ago. But I haven't had a new console in a long time, and uh, the, you know the Elder Scrolls, the Elder Scrolls fifth uh, fifth version of that. So, but you know my my I'm a little bit behind, but uh, but that's what I usually will play. So, but. Uh, and I and I wish I were I wish I were up to date on it. I, I was going to get a new console this year, but couldn't get it. So I was pretty much like, but I was really going to target the same type of game. You know the, uh, you know, and I usually play, you know, the Halo types and first person shooters or or some sort of quest game. So that's what I usually play. And there's a perfect course out there for you at Harvard. Um, you know, and through edX for the. Uh, uh, you know, they have the CS550 for, for um, game uh, development. It just kind of goes over the concept of game development. And and, uh, and I've taken that, and it's a good one. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's the answer. I, I wish I were, were up to date on the on the new console, but uh, my wife was laughing at me. I just pulled out my, my Xbox 360, and I had it sitting in a bag for the last uh, probably, I don't know, it's been sitting in the bag for eight years or something like that, and I, and I just yanked it out and connected it and, and I was playing games over my my uh holiday break so she was just uh rolling her eyes back and laughing at me so but great question <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I'm 34 years old and I will have to say one you're never too old and two there are such a thing as retro gamers so you should never feel ashamed of you know switching generations and everything uh, for me, it's Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VI, and Super Mario Bros. 3. I can't really pick one out of them, but I'm really big into role-playing games, too. So. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's where I would go if I, if I uh, got a new console, I would go there. But what I did is I just went back and said, you know, what are the best Xbox 360 games? And I, and I started having them, you know, sent to me now, you know, much cheaper because I'm getting like these things like, platinum classics i think i'm playing mass effect um two right now and which is turned off because i'm back to work and 
and, mm -hmm. and life is complicated. So, yeah, but it's a great question. Cause that's a, that was a very funny, uh, very funny subject that was going on for the past few you know, past several weeks. I've been trying to buy a video console. My wife's just cracking up at me and going, you're not going to play the thing. And, and so, but I, but I said, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pull out my old one just to prove to you that I do want a game. So, but now I haven't touched it. So it's, it's been about 10 days since I've been in there because my job is, uh, takes up a lot of time. So. Okay. Well, thank you for, uh, participating in this interview discussion. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to say to end the interview? No, I mean, I think that people should come out to the, to, to, you know, sign up for the conference and, and come hear what this is all about and stay for the Saturday sessions. Cause it's going to be, you know, important content. So that's all I have to say. As always, it is time to go over today in the world of autism. Started with my co-host, Dr. Nate Chinock, and his fantastic research-oriented topics. All right, we really have some scintillating stories for today. The first one is on a recent study that was done. Um, and I'd first like to highlight that daily living skills represent the ability to take care of independent living tasks, such as managing one's own finances, meals, and personal hygiene. And according to this new longitudinal study that I'd like to highlight from Catherine Lord and colleagues at the University of California, Los Angeles, the presence of daily living skills also influences the likelihood that an adult with autism will have employment opportunities. And this fascinating research, which was conducted on 253 individuals in their mid-20s, most of whom in the study were autistic, the daily living skills of participants was surveyed throughout the childhood of these participants since they were two years old. It's notable that earlier findings from this research team showed that daily living skills improved linearly in the autism group, albeit this was to a slower extent than the neurotypical group. The rate of increase in the ASD group seemed to taper off at age 18 an age that the authors referred to as a services cliff, which is basically when programs that provide instruction on daily living skills may be more difficult to access for families. The hallmark finding in this study was that at ages 18, 21, and 26, increases in daily living skills were significantly related to increased part-time and full-time employment opportunities as well as secondary education degrees. However, the relationship between employment opportunities and autism symptom severity was more strongly related. What's interesting is that this suggests that there are additional factors that impede on employment options for individuals with ASD, apart from just daily living skills. Future studies will aim to hone in on these on the specific daily living skills that are most impactful on employment opportunity outcomes and how strides can be made as far as introducing additional support programs for adults with ASD. 
On January 29th, our foundation will start up our virtual daily living skills program again, hosted by Carly Kent, our newly hired job coach, where we cover everything from grocery store shopping to taking a train independently. Question, Merrick, what specific daily living skills would you anticipate to be the most beneficial for employment? Well, so I would definitely have to say that knowing how to mop and vacuum uh, would probably be near the top because when you basically start out working for someone or working for something, you may start out in the cleaning business, which means that you may have to work on mopping floors, uh, sweeping floors with brooms, um, uh, cleaning with vacuum cleaners. Uh, my, my first paying job at Publix didn't just include bagging groceries and seeing people out to their cars, but it also included mopping the floors and sweeping up and vacuum cleaning. So it, it also, um, our work experience program, one of the qualities in the program that we run for the uh, Ells for Autism Foundation is, has to do with sanitation. And sanitation is, and cleaning is all a part of, of this thing because now you can learn to do the laundry, you can learn to do the dishwasher, you can learn to microwave things, and those are all very important, but that's more for independent living than uh, knowing how to mop and knowing how to uh, sweep and knowing how to vacuum. Those kinds of things you can definitely transfer from the home to the workplace. So I, I think uh, that that would be uh, very valuable. Um, mind if I ask uh, your thoughts on the subject? Yeah, definitely. I I think you're you're certainly on the right track with translating skills that are not only applicable to the home situation and that setting, but also to you know specific jobs that a facility of employment uh, is going to you know assign you to as a worker. So I I think you're really on to something with cleaning ability specifically. That's certainly uh, a frequent skill that's sought after for the entry level when you're just getting your foot in the door with a company. Um, so yeah, I, I would also, I would reciprocate that answer and go with, you know, skills like, like mopping, vacuuming, um, cleaning dishes, certainly those sort of things. And that is a good transition into our second story here, which is on the Rising Tide Car Wash. Um, and this is a, a South Florida company that mostly employs individuals on the autism spectrum. And Rising Tide Car Wash, they've been prominent in the news lately because they're opening a third location up in Coral Springs, Florida. And they have previous locations that are already in existence in both Margate and 
um, and Coral Springs as well. So John Deary, who co-founded this car wash business with his son, Thomas, uh, they did this in support of, um, of John's son, Andrew, who was diagnosed with autism as a toddler. The primary mission of this company was to give people with autism employment opportunities that are both challenging and fulfilling at the same time. The family cited that they were very frustrated with the lack of enterprises that were supportive and inclusive of individuals with autism. So they took it upon themselves to create a prime opportunity for their son and other young adults with disabilities to have a meaningful employment opportunity. The Rising Tide Car Wash currently employs approximately 20 individuals with ASD at both existing locations in various part-time and full-time opportunities. Amongst these opportunities are not only washing and cleaning positions, but also managerial positions. Um, and they hope that the car wash will, op will soon operate at 100% staffed with diversity, and this will include additional managerial and team leader positions. The success and growth of Rising Tide Car Wash this year, in spite of the COVID-19 pandemic, is definitely one of the more positive and inspirational stories that I can think of to come out of the year 2020, especially in the South Florida area. Tom Deary is also one of our keynote speakers for the Building a Neurodiverse Workforce Conference that we're hosting in March. Merrick, I was also wondering, what are your thoughts on this initiative from Rising Tide Car Wash and other companies being created with similar missions? Well, <clears throat> I think that uh, it's definitely great for people all around to uh, start up businesses and to start up initiatives to give jobs to those who are neurodiverse. Uh, anybody with a disability in some form or some way can be able to work in some fashion. And while we are all very, very diverse as individuals with autism, some, sometimes there's this need for a kind of a sanctuary for us to feel like we're actually wanted in the workplace. Uh, <clears throat> the interview that I did earlier with um, Jim Hogan was very valuable because he mentioned how he had been in so many different situations in his field of tech that he had heard from people a lot of different uh that, that he had talked to people who have mentioned about uh, bullying and the constant excess of bullying uh, in the spots that he has worked. You heard that before in the interview. And so, you know, like anyone else, uh, if, if those kinds of conditions persist, 
then these seem like islands and sanctuaries in the middle of a giant ocean. Now, also, um, there was also an initiative that was started by the Larry family called Rising Tide U, uh, where they provide roadmaps, and I'm quoting from the website here, they provide roadmaps for entrepreneurs who wish to start businesses that empower individuals with autism through gainful employment. And I think that that also is very integral to showing the overall potentiality of individuals with autism. So I, I do believe that it's a very thankful endeavor. And I do believe that when it comes to individuals, no matter the disability, to have champions standing up for us is, it, it's just heartwarming. Uh, like the last question uh, that was asked, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, again, I, I like your answer so much. I, I'm struggling to find more that I can add to it. Um, just, just like you said, um, really moving work that they're doing. And especially, I'm, I'm really glad you highlighted Rising Tide U because that was something, you know, that I, I wasn't aware of um, when I was initially reading this story. And I think that that just alludes to the, the type of work they're doing, which is so geared towards the neurodiverse workforce. And for that to take place in the most effective way possible, it's necessary not only to provide these opportunities to individuals with ASD, but to also make sure that, that other employees within the company are, are ready um, and prepared for these types of changes to take place. And along with that is the necessary, you know, training um, as far as, you know, just learning about conditions other people have, gaining understanding, and that's going to just lead to, you know, this these types of transitions being as effective as possible for the company. Um, but, but really great work. And just like I said, it's, um, I really enjoy reporting on these types of stories, these success stories, because in the midst of a lot of the difficult um, stories that we're constantly having access to in the news, um, these are some really positive and enlightening stories. Um, and on that note, I would like to turn it over to you, Merrick, for some uh, additional stories that we have for you all today. Well, before we uh, begin, though, I would like to say that while you uh, agreed with me on the gist of my subject, you were clearly a lot more articulate in your answer than I was. I felt like a juggler having to juggle a whole bunch of balls at once coming up with an articulate answer to it. So you, you really have to give some credit to yourself for the way you uh, publicly uh, respond to these uh, points and everything. Well, listen, there are some days where I, I feel like I can't even 
juggle one ball, let alone uh, two, two or three. So, you know, it, <laughs> it happens. Well, unfortunately for uh, right now, uh, you're going to have to be in the hot seat for these uh, questions coming up. All right. So the first story that I have is about what we call the goals program, which is one of our many different uh, programs and services we offer at the, at the foundation. So earlier this month, I had the opportunity to, to transcribe an interview with Aaron Lozat, our Director of Clinical Services and Global Support, with a, also a mother who was a part of our GOALS Global Outreach Autism Learning Services Program that we've been running for a few years now. To get to the heart of the matter, I had asked Mrs. Lozat how she would define the GOALS Program to anyone who is listening to our program. The GOALS program gives families around the world the opportunity to access a highly qualified transdisciplinary team of professionals, e.g. board certified behavior analysts or BCBAs, speech language pathologists or SLPs, occupational therapists or OT and music therapists. These professionals work together using a train to trainer approach to develop unique and individualized programs for children with autism spectrum disorder, ASD. In this way, in the role of consultant, guide, or navigator, program, programmatic enhancements can be made. The hope is that these enhancements based on evidence-based strategies in turn change or positively impact the trajectory of each child's development. Goals works to maximize the benefits of established programs and therefore the development of the child or individual being served. This program for anyone who ends up becoming one of our goals families is meant to provide supports and services to everyone, which includes the child, the family, the therapeutic professionals, and the educators. In helping and guiding the child's team, goals empowers the families to understand the therapeutic practices and programs along with making sound decisions on which programs and strategies are best for the individual. It is especially helpful when the parents and their professionals are stuck in a program, including how to support behaviors in difficult moments and how to best build communication. Goals is open to all ages. Nate, since you've been working for the clinical department, what are some positives you have taken away from the goals program? Well, this is a great, great program that we're highlighting here. Just first off, I want to say that. Um, second of all, I, I would like to just clarify that um, as someone who worked as um, and, and is working as a researcher um, for the foundation, what I do is uh, I'm involved in studying and evaluating these programs and a lot of the other great programs that we provide. Um, however, I was not directly involved in admin. Um, even though I was not directly involved in administering this, it was really cool for me to see the positive effects, the profound effects, really, that this had on um, that that this has had on the many families who have gone through the program. And just to highlight a couple of the important points. Um, and the positive takeaways from this program. Um, you know, I would like to, to say that 
it's so valuable to have a situation where you're not only providing great services for an individual with autism, but you're actually taking a broader and more um, full scope approach to intervention work, which is to actually involve not only that individual, but also the entire family. And in that sense, you're creating a therapeutic situation that is much more sustainable for many families who might not have um, access to these services on a consistent basis. Um, and by teaching the family how to sort of be um, the, the providers in addition to parents or siblings, et cetera, um, you're really uh, going, going a long way to um, increasing the likelihood of, of therapeutic access and, and subsequent success. Um, on top of that, just the idea of the inner, um, of the transdisciplinary team, okay, having not just um, a, one therapist that's an expert in, you know, maybe um, behavior analysis, but also having someone on that team um, who's an expert in speech and language pathology, um, having such a combination um, of experts working together is really, uh, that's the ultimate goal in this field, I think, is, is just taking, again, it's all about that broad picture, what's going to be most effective, um, and not only in the short term, but creating something that um, has lasting ability. So that's, that's what I'd like to highlight from this. Um, Merrick, if you have anything to add, feel free to go for it. Well, the, the term, the word global and global outreach autism learning services cannot be underestimated. Goals isn't just something in which, you know, we take a child and we uh, do what it is that uh, the director of the program says, but it also has a lasting impact on the countries that are served by our services, like Brazil, Italy. We've had families uh, come over who have never really uh, asked for our services before, but they are very, very curious and they learn about us through recommendations of word of mouth and they realize exactly how deep and how detailed and how great our expertise would be when, when it comes to helping individuals out and they bring that extended knowledge, that advanced knowledge that we bring to the table to wherever they go, almost like we're creating this uh, global community of those with autism or the global autism community and we're impacting them by basically sharing our notes and our knowledge with other individuals who look at us and go, oh, wow, this is something different. Maybe we can influence uh, the people that we serve who come from these different countries 
and they can maybe look at that and go, okay, so that's a little bit different. Maybe we can work with that while they also bring their own experiences from their own countries to our shores. I think that that's uh, really, really cool. And that to me is definitely something worth mentioning. Um, the transdisciplinary team is great. The, the whole, the stratagem is great. But the fact that this is a global outreach uh, program that uh, just shows how we all want the same things for our children, no matter whatever country we come from, to be able to succeed and to persevere uh, against these tremendous odds I think is just really, really, really important. And uh, just I, there was always a celebration when I would work at the front desk and uh, Gold's family would come in and it would always be a celebration. You'd have a good amount of people there. Then you would have our clerical staff, um, I mean, clinical staff, come in and they would talk to the family and you would have like this whole like big thing to do. And it is just great that we are able to have the resources to help the wider community really putting us on an international level besides our other branches that we have all over the world. So we're, we're just, uh, blessed to have people who appreciate the overall uh, sense that they get from us. Absolutely. I, I really did uh, ramble on for a while, didn't I? No, it's all, all good points. And uh, I appreciate you also just the, the um, bringing up your, your sentiment on, you know, what it's like when the Goals family um, arrives at the center. It is such an exciting uh, moment for, for our staff and also the families. Um, and we, we really hope to be providing this um, continually into the future. Yep, it's about getting things done. One family at a time, one child at a time, one person at a time. It's about getting things done to make people feel like their lives have been impacted and their lives can change in a positive sense. Talk about it, a good slogan right there. Speaking of which, speaking of changes in our lives, I did ask uh, some of this. I did ask the same people about what they hope for. If you can recall, uh, last month I asked a group of individuals about what uh, I think how individuals with autism should process the holidays. And this time I asked the same people about what they hope to see in the autism community in 2021 
as either parents of children with autism or self-advocates. And here is what they had to say. So Kelly Coots, our rec supervisor, had to say, what I hope for in 2021 is that we continue to use all the creative energy we put into 2020. By thinking outside the box, sharing our many talents and working together, we were able to provide quality programs and services for clients, participants, and families. I look forward to seeing what we do next as a team and how we will continue to change the world of autism in our community and around the world. 100% agree with that. Now, Dr. Kimberly Watterson Rivicchio, our mental health counselor had to say, I would like to see the concept of neurodiversity continue to become widespread and commonplace. Part of this endeavor includes the community becoming more educated on the entire autism spectrum. I hope to see individuals with autism have increased opportunities for social experiences and dating. Perhaps this can be accomplished through the use of technology and internet applications. Of course, an increase in mental health awareness and techniques specific to the autism community and their families. Lastly, I would like to see an increase in family support, especially for siblings. We are making nice strides at Ells for Autism to bring services to the entire family, including siblings. I agree with that too, 100%. <laughs> well, what can I say? Andrew Blitman, a member of our advisory board and self-advocate had to say, if I could see anything, I would like to see all people with autism content with themselves and with their identities. I would also like to see higher levels of employment and marriage for people on the spectrum. Again, 100% agree. Kate Roberts, a member of our social group and self-advocate had to say, I would love to see more individuals with autism get scholarships. Yep, again, 100% agree. And my hope is that more people live the life that they want to realize within themselves, that they find their own definition of happiness, and that they see this year as another year for opportunities for them and for the communities around them. Couldn't disagree more. So, <laughs> I agree 100%. Sorry? I said I agree 100%. Okay. <laughs> well, you're the only one. What are your hopes for the autism community in 2021, Nate? Well, so many good points made above. Um, I'm gonna- Except take, for me. I, I wanna take the, the mental health um, approach. I wanna highlight that for a second. And I know that um, amidst what's going on now, there's sort of a secondary um, pandemic going on with a lot of people struggling with their mental health and, and trying to find purpose and um, contentment in the, you know, this new world that we're kind of all going through right now. And I just hope that my hope is really that not only that individuals with autism help build each other up during this time, um, but also that individuals um, across the board um, continue to uh, become more more mindful and more understanding about autism and um, can be valuable friends and allies to um, 
to uh, individuals with autism who are, um, you know, uh, going through this, these difficult times as well, and in some ways uh, are more affected by all this. Well, I really do feel like I should dig up a quote and put it on a pedestal and just recite it and see what people think. You know, an inspirational quote. That would come in handy right now, certainly. <laughs> I'll just probably try to have to find a commercial, like a Nabisco commercial or something, if I can find one of those. And, you know, it's not going to be silly rabbit tricks are for kids. That's not inspirational. What's inspirational about that? Or they're after me lucky charms. What's inspirational about that? You know? <laughs> you, really want to do it. you gotta look at the breakfast cereal they're great or it's great that's not inspirational either you know if you're if you're eating cereal at like nine o'clock a.m in the morning what do you want you want inspiration you want someone to tell you you're getting up for a great morning a great day and that would be my cereal slogan okay that would be my cereal slogan and i would put that as my quote on the pedestal. I don't care if I'm self-quoting myself, that would be on there. Well, you can have your quote. I, I'll take a bowl of Lucky Charms uh, and I think that'll be inspiring enough for me. Uh, okay, but I'll be I'll after just, your Lucky Charms. Maybe I'll just get a sugar high. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. And on that note, hopefully... <laughs> Everyone who is listening will have will find all our uh, digressions to be on a high point rather than a low point. So, be, before we go, we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners, and because of that, we will be seeing you again in February with some more coverage on us and the autistic community in general. So here's our closing as usual. Get set for. Wow. We've gone through 10 episodes. Oh. I don't know how my co host Nate feels, but I feel like 10 episodes is very, very special for something like this. It's also been either my fifth or an upcoming sixth year that I've been working for the foundation, um, depending on who you ask. Because the first year that I worked for the foundation, I started sometime in February um, <clears throat> I was a contractor and then by January of the year after, uh, in 2016, I ended up going from contractor to part-time staff. So basically it's either five years or upcoming six years or Oh, gosh, I had to renew my lease. 
and so it's going to be two years since I've been living alone in my apartment. But enough of all that nonsense. Um, I ended up uh, falling into finding a very interesting artifact that I would like to end this episode with. So as you, any listener may know from um, all the way in the first or second episode, I had talked about how there was this song I, I co-wrote with a friend of the family. Uh, his name is Jimmy Webb, and he did the music for it. And he recorded the whole thing. I supplied the lyrics, and we worked on this song together, and it is called Just Like a Butterfly, or Like a Butterfly. And it was the finished version was played at our biggest fundraising event of the year, the grand finale. And it was heard by 500 people, I've been told. And it was playing during a presentation that we were doing. And it is just, it was just so awesome to know that that happened. And it wasn't all the way back in 2016 when it happened. So it was very, very, my, my it was during my very early stay with the foundation. So I found the acoustic demo of the same song. And I think that it is very, very pretty. And the message about inspiring individuals to be what you and who you want to be uh, still comes entirely through, true through this uh, acoustic recording that was done. And I would like to share it with you all. And you know, hopefully uh, this will be a nice way to celebrate 10 episodes of the Four Autism podcast. So this is a song. Enjoy. Flying through the air so high, just like a butterfly. Well, moth is a butterfly without any colors. What's beautiful is what's inside. Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide I'm just a caterpillar crawling around Knowledge in my head and my feet on the ground Soon I'll be like an angel up in the sky like a butterfly I wish I could fly so high Oh, like a butterfly Flying to the air so high Just like a butterfly like a bird, I was born to soul. I will fly through the sunlight when it pours. You can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind. 
Every once in a while your eyes light up I was just an old little caterpillar pup All we know is we <laughs> into the butterflies Wish I could fly so high Oh, like a butterfly Instrumental. Once I'm up in the trees, you'll never see no more of me. I could fly so high, just like a butterfly. I wish I could fly into the sky, just like a butterfly. And I wish I could fly so high, way up in the sky. Forgot the words. Fly into the air so high, just like a butterfly. Just like a butterfly.